welcome back to another episode of Invarious and Peckapalooza. We are two geeks who talk about everything. I'm Peckapalooza, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin, Invarious. Good day! Back again. Uh, we apologize for the delay in getting this week's podcast up. Uh, we had some technical difficulties. I, myself, was out of town this weekend, and um, as we tried to record... Uh, over the weekend uh, just had a lot of issues having a connection and as it turns out I didn't tell you this um, but after the fact I found out that when you were freezing up so much it's because my friend Nicole who is a longtime listener hey Nicole uh, she accidentally unplugged their router <laughs> and so it was at that point that I decided, you know what, I'll try to use my phone and use the hotspot. But uh, unfortunately, being out of town for whatever reason, I was not getting a good signal on my phone either. And so we just decided to postpone until uh, we're recording this on Memorial Day. And so yes. so we will be putting this episode up on Tuesday. Um, and bonus, guys, if you haven't been paying attention, we're going to be doing two episodes this week. Uh, tonight's today's episode, uh, we're discussing the first two Harry Potter movies, but then if you tune in again tomorrow, you'll get another episode speaking about the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Awesome. So well, how was your, how was your uh, Memorial Day weekend, man? It was good. We had uh, a lot of fun. You know, we did, uh, I did the beach thing. I've done the, I've done the pool thing uh i've smoked the cigar thing i've done i've you know <laughs> that's my <The> cigar thing, thing? <laughs> it may not be anybody else's thing it's my thing you know but uh got to go on a date you know with my wife just to be clear <laughs> that's know. that's it, important to clarify that it is it is no so we got to do that um my son beat uh nathan drake three uncharted three uh so that was a a, a good thing for him because he's really excited about playing uncharted four thieves in so yeah, it's just been, and we're working on a Harry Potter puzzle. That's what I should say the most part is we got this 3D puzzle of Harry Potter's uh, of the of the Hogwarts castle. It's got different sections, and we have just taken over tables to get this thing going. And Excellent. so, oh, it's it's some fun. We're having a good time. That's fantastic. How about you? Uh, well, like I said, I was out of town. I was visiting friends in Raleigh. Uh, we went and saw Top Gun Maverick on Saturday, and oh, good. I believe, yeah, you you saw it too. Yeah, I um, I'm I'm gonna put myself out there and say I thought it was better than the original Top Gun. Um, just something about it, you know. I I think part of it for me was that the character of Maverick, you know, obviously has matured. It's thirty some odd years later, and so you know he's he's obviously older and wiser, but uh, he's He's not as cocky. He's not like a, a jerk. <laughs> like you, he's hard to yeah. like in the first Top Gun. He is. Yeah. Um, but uh, but his character a lot a lot more likable this time around. Um, Got to give it up to Miles Teller, dude. I don't know yeah. if, if he had to wear makeup or if that mustache was fake, but I swear he comes on screen. He looks like he could have been Anthony Edwards son. He does like it's it's uncanny it, it, it even towards especially towards the end you know in their interactions that was it it was just like it was anthony edwards yeah it was and he was so great as that i mean as you know you know we've seen him uh the actor in in things here and there over the last decade or two you know what i mean 
but I've never seen anything that that really kind of blew me away like seeing this. No, you know? yeah, so this, awesome. This was really good. I was really impressed with it. Um, definitely worth the 35 year wait if you have not had a chance to see it yet. Uh, go see it in the theater. It's going to be worth it with the sound and the uh, the big screen experience. The oh, yeah. the cinematography is amazing. What they're mm. what they're doing with those um, you know really being inside the cockpit of those jets. So yeah. Yeah, uh, awesome. So give it give it a shot if you haven't seen it yet. All right, like I said, we are discussing the first two Harry Potter movies on this episode. Uh, that would be Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or if you're listening from across the pond, the Philosopher's Stone. Philosopher's Stone. Uh, and also Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So without further ado, let's get into Sorcerer's Stone. Yes, Sorcerer's Stone. So this movie, you know, the book came out in like 1997. J.K. Rowling uh, did this book uh, over in the UK there, and she uh, wrote it for her kid. She's just writing a story, a story for her kid, you know. And um, I mean, she just uh, puts this great novel together. Chris Columbus comes along and sees it and says, oh, let's make a movie off of that guy. And uh, And so... They do that. And then four years later, um, 2001, they come out with uh, this uh, amazing, amazing story. And, and, you know, the truth is, is all of these actors, they wanted to have all British, all these British actors and all this, this British cast come into it. Uh, there was one character that J.K. Rowling handpicked. And uh, I, I'm thinking this is like just a mini trivia for Peckapalooza here, but uh, I want to know if you know who that who that that person was, that actor. I actually read she she handpicked Alan Rickman for, uh, and I know, I'm sure that's who you're talking about. But she also handpicked Maggie Smith and uh, Robbie Coltrane. Oh, did she do for them? Now I do know that for um, for Alan Rickman, uh, she actually told him more of his story. Yeah, you know, yeah, she revealed, uh, early on revealed more of his character him. to him uh, to to keep him on board with it yeah and so that was really uh awesome and of course you know so you know i can uh, without uh, giving too much away for those of you who haven't seen it who've been in a coma or uh, are new to this planet hey, um, you know you what know, at this point it's on them let it it's, out. it's been just more than just 20 years okay spoilers let it out just whatever you know it, again it's it's on them it's it's been more than 20 years let's just just gonna go out there oh i got it okay well you know i think um so the story opens up with um you you have just this great scene and and just an england town you know a suburb if you will and you're just thrown right into uh the aftermath of something serious that's happened that's resulted in uh, two you know aged wizard a wizard and, and witch who are coming together and have a baby with this very large bearded man who's brought this baby. And they're just cryptically talking about something that's happened with somebody and some and good things and bad things. And this baby who's now got to be left on this doorstep. And for anybody who's not read the book, you're going, what? You know, but it's, it's so, it, it, it entrances you. It, it gets you into it because what it turns out is sure enough, this little boy, Harry Potter, um, this little baby somehow has defeated uh, this dark wizard, this he who must not be named. He's vanquished oh, the dark Lord. lord. <laughs> he did. And, and, and the resulting effect of that was the scar 
And uh, so, what's the scar look the, like? Oh, it's a lightning bolt. There it's a go. lightning bolt <laughs> upon the forehead. Now, uh, when you fast forward, uh, what eleven years? Is that what it is? Ah, uh, well, ten years. years. He's one year old. At, oh, he's at that one point. year. That's right. That's right. So you fast forward to when he is turning eleven, and um, and he is now living with this family, the Dursleys, this audacious family, these mean people with their little little uh, child Dudley, who's got uh, a second bedroom for presents. He's got. Uh, they just love on him don't on him it's his birthday and uh, apparently him and harry have birthdays near each other but no one seems to notice harry's and uh and harry lives in a very interesting place he lives right underneath the stairs in the cupboard underneath the stairs on privet drive and uh and so he is just tormented and they treat him like a slave it's awful very cinderella and, uh, yeah very cinderella yeah he didn't have mice to play with, just spiders. Uh, so anyway, so going into it, he they, they end up going to the zoo uh, for Dudley's birthday. And as Dudley is there, and in the book, I believe he bring, brings a, a friend with him. But uh, Dudley's there. and Pierce Polkis. Pierce Polkis, that's right. And he goes, and there's this scene where, uh, well, Dudley's just a little too close to the glass in front of a snake and just happens to fall through and go on the other side. The snake escapes. Harry has a little conversation with Snake, and there you go. But the whole thing, just kind of not go scene by scene, but you're starting to understand this kid has, has uh, some magical ability, and then all of a sudden you get this letter. This letter comes through, addressed to not just Harry Potter, but to his exact location at the cupboard underneath the stairs, and it comes in delivered by an owl. Well, the Dursleys seem to have some sort of knowledge. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, Vernon and Petunia, seem to have this uh, knowledge uh, that he shouldn't be getting this letter or they don't want him to have this letter or open it. And so Dudley uh, and, and uh, Vernon and, and uh, Petunia are all just not trying to let Harry get this letter, especially Vernon. And, uh, and so a whole bunch of letters are coming through, thousands upon thousands of letters. And they leave and they go and they find themselves in the farthest place away into this, I guess, lighthouse or house or whatever it is. It's just really a house just no on shack. this rock in the middle of the ocean, like a shack. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, that's when we get reintroduced to Hagrid, uh, who is the bearded, burly man, played by Robbie Coltrane. And, uh, and, and pretty much he comes right in. Sorry about that. And he, uh, he tells Harry. You're a wizard, a wizard, That's right. It's his birthday. He gives him a nice squashed cake. That's all right. You know, and takes him out of that place so that he can go to Diagon Alley to get his effects before he goes to Hogwarts. And coming into this, he, he gets on, gets there, and, and, and we get kind of pulled into this whole plot about him going to the school, you know, and, and getting to meet everybody, getting to meet uh, Ron, his best friend on the train, uh, and then Hermione. Is also becoming his best friend as well, and uh, and they meet together quickly. We understand that Draco Malfoy is a uh, part of a Slytherin house. That sounds very suspiciously evil. Poor snakes out there, you know, just the bad snakes of Slytherin, and uh, and so there's this whole like structure going on between different houses. There's the Gryffindor house. There's the Hufflepuff house. There's the Ravenclaw house and there's the Slytherin house. 
and you get sorted into different hats. So what I think the, the main thing that's that, that you're kind of introduced from a, a main plot point early on, uh, because when they go to, when Harry and, and um, Hagrid go to Diamond Alley to get his school effects, they stop by the famous Gringotts Bank and Harry gets a little money. Thanks mom and dad for the life insurance. Um, and uh, he's got quite the stack of gold. But they also stop into another place where Hagrid's got to get a special package for uh, Professor Dumbledore, the headmaster of uh, Hogwarts. So, you know, as, as this, the plot continues, the kids are getting acquainted to all the other students, teachers, and everything within. It becomes very clear to Harry that's, that Professor Snape, played by Alan Rickman, does not like him and is not the nicest guy uh, there. He's also getting acquainted with another professor named Professor Quirrell, who is the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. He's a very skittish kind of guy, Professor Quirrell. He, uh, he's a very timid kind of guy teaching a very dark class and uh, one that uh, Snape apparently covets. And so the focus of the whole movie gets on Snape. It's on Snape. You know, he's the bad guy. He's the one. There's something being protected. And they believe it just happens to be this, this philosopher's stone, which we know from our U.S. movies as a sorcerer's stone, which can actually give you a long life. And so why would that be important? Because he who must not be named, good old Voldemort, he's creeping right back around the corner to come back. And surely he needs that. So somebody's after it. <clears throat> and ultimately, the story leads us to uh, the three friends coming together, going after this, going through trials, multiple trials to try to get this Philosopher's Stone, ultimately arriving, and then coming to the final conclusion that it is not Snape, not Snape. It happens to be, we've been duped. It is Professor Quirrell, who is not only uh, a, a big fan of Voldemort, but he's also carrying on as a backpack. He's got him on the back of his head. They have merged bodies. He's carrying them as a pickup, you know, because his soul can't sustain life on its own. And so Quirrell has him merged to him. And they're trying why to get Quirrell's the been stone. wearing a turban the whole time. That is exactly. I, I just thought it was a fashion statement. Mm -hmm. So at that point, um, they go through there. They're at the end. And Harry um, is able to trick Quirrell. Using the mirror of Erised, is that what we're calling it? Erised, yes. and uh, and he tricks him, and uh, Harry ends up having the Philosopher's Stone, and is able to defeat Quirrell by simply touching his skin. He touches him, and the goodness of his of, of the love uh, in Harry is just able to decimate the evil um, that is in bodily form in Quirrell, and then very quickly the uh, remnants of Voldemort scatter off and flee into oblivion. And then he has saved the day. And we learn at the very end that Harry Potter, the reason he was able to defeat Voldemort was actually because of his mother's love that actually protected him from Voldemort, which we'll learn later, you know, is actually had more of an effect than, than just a lightning scar. But that is the, the plot synopsis of uh, Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter film. And uh, before we, you know, kind of talk more about some details within there, but anything else to add there, Pekka Palooza, or any shining moments that you want to bring up? 
uh there at the end it's it's funny um as i was watching it again and and it, honestly it makes me want to reread the books as well um because it's it's probably been five or six years since the last time i i read through the entire series but um you know it's funny i was i was watching and and the the whole thing at the end you know they they go through you know having to uh survive the devil snare they have yeah. to uh catch the um the flying key to unlock the door to get to the next part and then they have to play life-size wizard's chess yeah uh that could prove to be fatal <laughs> um yeah. and then you know finally once they do that then harry's free to go on and face quirrell with the mirror of erised and and we learn that uh that dumbledore's trick with the mirror is that the the philosopher's stone the sorcerer's stone is is inside the mirror right and and the trick is the person who looks in the mirror and desires to find the stone but not use it is the one who will get it right and so so it struck me you know quirrell says he sees himself presenting the stone to his master <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> and i'm like it, as soon as Harry gets there, he sees himself holding the stone and puts it in his pocket. And then it appears in Harry's pocket. Yeah, yeah. If Harry had never gone after the stone, Quirrell <laughs> never would have been able to get it in the first place. Well, then we wouldn't have a movie, Peckapalooza. I'm just you know? saying. <laughs> Are you saying it's, it's the whole Indiana Jones thing? It's it's the it's the Raiders of the Lost all Lost Ark all over. If it hadn't messed with it, we wouldn't have had a problem. That's right. <laughs> if it hadn't been for those meddling kids, Quirrell oh, never would have even one. had a chance. Yeah. <laughs> you know that is true. But then in the end, I mean, honestly, would he not have found another way? I mean, this is just another. You got to beat down. Oh, what's he going to do? Smash the mirror? Well, then he's got seven years of bad luck. Good job. <laughs> On top of it. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about this movie is uh, it's appealed to, to all ages. I mean, I at that time had just uh, I was in my first year of college um, when when the movie came out and I had read the book the summer before the movie came out. Uh, the popularity hit over on our side and, uh, you know, and breezed through it because the book's not very long. The first one's nah. not long at all. And uh, the way that it's set up. And the way she writes the book is you're really getting introduced to a whole world and not just a whole world, but like Tolkien, you're getting introduced to language, to a language, a terminologies, I mean, vocabulary of things that that are just common knowledge in, in her world that she's creating. Um, she's weaving this web. And I don't know, you know, how much she like put in her head before she mapped all this out in the, in the original book versus how much she like started off and just kind of played and then expanded. I know Tolkien, when he was doing his role for Lord of the Rings and, and, and the Hobbit, he had a whole structure. He even did the, the language of the elves that he had created, all, you know, as he was building this and he took so much time, but I wonder if it was a bit more organic for JK Rowling, you know, and, uh, and if any of the movies as they were um, coming out and planning years, you know, they, they were doing them sequ sequentially up till, 
you got to uh, Goblet of Fire uh, just year after year after year. And then they had two years. And then it was another um, after that. It, it's just, I, I just wonder how much was organic versus how much of the mastermind was ahead of time. You know what I mean? Well, I do remember, and, and we can get into this when we talk about Chamber of Secrets, but there's a, there's a scene, uh, I believe, at the end of Chamber of Secrets uh, where Ron and Hermione kind of have a, a difficult time like when they're reunited at the end um, and it's, you know, it's obvious that there's like a weird kind of chemistry there. They're, they're almost embarrassed to be happy to see each other. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, of course this is long before anyone's going to get an idea that all oh, these two are going to wind up together. Like, yeah, there's no yeah. romance here. These are, these, no, these are 12 year olds. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember, um, you know, of course this is, this is before, um, I think even Order of the Phoenix had come out the book, um, and and Rowling I think gave an interview saying that uh, that you know something that that they were seeing like that chemistry on screen, it's is as if the writers of like the screenplay writers were uh, predicting something that Would she happen. had planned for the books later on, yeah, but you know, those books hadn't come out yet. So uh, right. she was, so she was pleased know. with the way that, was, that things oh, yeah. were working out. Well, the kids had such amazing chemistry. Um, I don't know if you've watched the uh, reunion that they did on HBO, um, but uh, it was really amazing to see the different actors talk about what it was like to work with Chris Columbus and just the wrangling of the kids and how fun he was to work with and, and, and getting all the kids together. And of course he had, experience or you know but it's just i mean what was done and the scale at which this was done with all of those kids and and all the amazing actors well-known actors uh that that uh, play the professors and, and and the different people wow yeah i mean it's the titanic of uh you know of this genre it was amazing yeah it was it was really great the um and and this one, like these these first two movies, especially, you you've definitely got that uh, that feeling of you know this is these are children's movies. These are these are movies that that are designed for kids. Now it's not yeah. that's not to say that adults obviously can't get something out of it and can't enjoy it. Um, but but like the books, and you know we've we've touched on this in in just a conversation before. You know they they start off smaller. And and meant to be read by readers of younger ages, right? And and as the books progress, you know the the tone ages with yeah. the reader, and the so reader. it's the same. Absolutely. It's the same with the movies. You have yeah. a different tone, you know, from the first two, and you it's it, there's a marked difference between you know what you see in Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets then you jump ahead over to prisoner of Azkaban and it's, it's, you've got a different Way director. Different. It's a different yeah. tone. It's a different cinematography. It's, and, and it just, it's, it's brilliant. Just the way that again, like, like the books age along with the reader, the, the uh, movies it, age along yeah. with the, the viewer. And as, I mean, I've got to say, I mean, from a writing perspective, just, just reading her do that. It reminds me of, being taken on a journey with Stephen King in his books, um, because I've I've rarely read 
um, a writer who can take you on a character's journey in, in, for a long period of time. Um, and Stephen King is one of those that can do that. J.K. Rowling definitely pulled that off. Yeah. She had the ability of, of, you know, yes, with each age. And maybe it's because so too her, her kids were aging, or I don't know if she has one kid or two kids. But I know she has one. But, you know, she had children aging as well. And maybe she's watching that and kind of bringing that over. But um, <laughs> I will say that the first movie was something by which you could you could watch and not watch another one and be done. You know, it, it was it, it just had everything to satisfy. Everything was accomplished. You really don't have to go any further, nor is it really alluded to that you would have to go any further like it will be every film beyond. Yeah. You know, this yeah. one is yeah, this like, one. It feels it, it could very yeah. much easily be a one and done yes. situation. Um, but you um, know they they do plant the seeds obviously that right. that there's more to come with you know with with uh, with the end of it seeming like you know he's defeated Professor Quirrell and therefore defeated Voldemort again you know it's like so he asks Dumbledore like straight up does this mean that Voldemort can't come back and Dumbledore yeah. you know he he thinks about it for a second he says there's there's always a chance that he can come back. Right. You know, there's there's other ways that he can find, and you know, I, I wonder. Like, I wonder at this point how much does he know dollars, about Horcruxes? Well, it, it pretty much, you know, all knowing Dumbledore, they're going. If it makes a billion dollars worldwide, then yes, <laughs> yes, he will come back. <laughs> but we'll just uh, have to see know, what the box office says at the end of the opening weekend. Do you think she knew about Rowling knew, knew about Horcruxes at this time? Oh gosh, yeah. All I right, think so you, I really do think yeah. she had the whole thing mapped, mapped out, out before. Like I think she had the idea. I re I remember reading somewhere that she um she got the idea initially when she was on a train at one point and got the idea of uh kids going to a school of magic. Um, yeah by boarding a train and um but i think that once once she began writing in earnest i'm i have no doubt that she she had if not all the details the the major plot points completely mapped yeah. out because well, because there's the so movies. much detail yeah. um that you know by the time you get to deathly hallows it's like there's there's no way oh, like yeah. this, there's 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 stuff that happens in in those later books that you can tell the, the seeds were planted very early on. Um, and it's just like especially especially stuff with Snape. Yeah. Um, you know, it, on the one hand, I have a hard time with with those early movies and the early books with with snape and the way he treats harry and it's right like, you know it's, i'm having a hard time understanding why does he hate harry so much and right. i get it later on you you find right. you know you get flashbacks and and you understand right. that it's it's How because he sees james in yeah. in harry now right now it's a big deal in the books they don't make as big a deal of it in the movies so subtle in the movies but, you know? but in the books they make a big deal about very much so. you, you look just like your father but you have your mother's eyes 
Yeah. And and so, you know, that that part should I feel like give Snape pause. And again, we're getting the spoiler territory for like stuff that doesn't come out until the very last movie in the very last book, but um Oh, gosh, I, it's it's hard not to talk about the entire series when you're talking. No, about I know one. it's it's true, but I do think if you if you think about the behavior and the very first scene where Snape uh, meets, you know, Harry, um, you know, Mister Potter, you know, <laughs> our, our new, new celebrity. celebrity, you know, he immediately goes into making sure that he's checking this kid. He's assumed that he thinks he's famous. He's he assumes that he thinks he's all that. And he is, it is his job to knock this kid down, you know, on a peg. He but, assumes he's pretty much everything Draco is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, though he loves Draco, you know what I mean? But again, so, that's, that's the thing. It's, you know, Snape being, you know, one of Dumbledore's guys, you, you think yeah. he's fully aware that Harry grew up in a world of muggles and has a, no a, idea how famous he is. He has no idea what his actual story has been up to this point he just all harry knows is a life of misery with the dursleys right but at the same time think about this you're talking about the son i mean of course of lily but the son of the guy who bullied who also took the girl he loves and the kid mm. happens to just look exactly like the father who took yeah. the girl he loves away from him you know, and who, in all fairness, he might hold a little responsible that Lily was even targeted in the first place. You know, James, I mean, you know, that he yeah. would he would be like, you know, had she been with me, she never would have been, you know, killed. You know, I mean, there's there's got to be a, a really hard time with that where he's like he loves the mom, but he sees so much of the dad in Harry that he can't just help but go like. I know I should like you and care for you because you're Lily's son, but I really just hate you. <laughs> All you, you do is rob me of James. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, but what that that storyline throughout the series with Snape is just, uh, I mean, wow. It's so well done. It's so well done. All right, so just real, real quick, finishing out the first one so you can give the, the Chamber of Secrets. Um, just kind of give some context here. The first movie came out in 2001. Now, this time, as far as the books go, we had had four books uh, come out. And we camped out on Goblet of Fire for a little while. Yeah. We get the movie, and then we're waiting for, you know, Order of the Phoenix. And, um, I mean, that was, a, that was a long period of time. But th that first four at that time period, I don't know if you remember this. I mean, that was Harry Potter world. That is the mind. I mean, you have that much all the way up to the very end of Goblet of Fire and its very epic conclusion. And everybody who's read it, who's immersed in it, who is sold and just die hard about these books at this point, now they have the first movie coming out. So the knowledge about where we're going, what could happen, what we're leading to in the development for those books, the anticipation was so huge that again, it did make a billion dollars worldwide. And Did, did uh, the was, first movie make a billion? According to IMDb, it made, just to be clear, it had, uh, it had, so it was budgeted at $125 million, 
Opening weekend, it made 90 million. Its gross in US and Canada was 318, almost 19 million. Gross worldwide, $1 billion. Dang. First movie. Insane. But the anticipation, because the four books had been there, was huge. Yeah. And so, I, um, yeah. I, I read, so I was introduced to Harry Potter, I think that maybe the year before the movie came out. And um, a friend of mine had, she, she let me borrow the first three. She was like, just take all three of them. You'll, you'll just like, you'll seriously, you'll speed through them. They're so yeah. quick to read. And it was true. And, and I think I read the three of those and I was like, all right, when does the fourth one come out? And so I was, I was able, the fourth one was the first one I went and got, I didn't go to the midnight thing where they, where they, uh, yeah. did the release but i got it like uh pretty soon after it was released and yeah. uh and again even with as huge as that book was compared to the other three i still like devoured it and <laughs> yeah. um and so yeah i was i was in that boat i had read all four of the first the first four books and uh and anticipated um sorcerer's stone when it came out um you know super excited once i saw the trailer for it and and yeah. and just the the imagery and you know, I'll, I'll say like Crazy. some some of and this is just expected for movies from the early 2000s some of the cgi does not hold up um sure. but uh for the most part i mean it's still it's amazing to watch this wizarding world come to life and and so much it's so faithful to the books yeah um and especially these one. early so ones there's like when you get into the later movies four and and onward you know there's there's a lot you know, if you go back and read the books, then you realize, man, they left a yeah. whole lot out. Um, <laughs> Where's Ludo Bagman? Where's right? Ludo Bagman? But it's like the in these first in these early books and early movies, they they really did everything they could to stay as faithful honest. as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I that that scene where they are in the uh, the Forbidden Forest doing detention. Yeah, and uh, you know. Uh, they come across well you know voldemort in in the hood drinking the unicorn blood yeah that scene the way it happened in the movie was exactly the way it happened in my head yeah. when i was reading that that Me passage too. and yeah. it's just it was so <laughs> creepy it was so creepy oh man i've, I've got it. my my hats off to i've got to at least throw some names out here before we move on uh first of all obviously richard harris uh, playing uh, Dumbledore. Well, we've Who talked is about this. Dumbledore? <laughs> he is Dumbledore. Now, if you talk to my kids, though, nine and thirteen, they see Michael Gambon as as that as the Dumbledore because that's what they're used to. You're gonna have to tell um, them they're wrong. <laughs> you can tell them. Um, Don't you worry. You will. <laughs> um, but seriously, Richard Harris, and you know, I I'd seen him in other things. He had done Camelot as King Arthur. Uh, years earlier, he was in um, he was Marcus Aurelius and Gladiator. Uh, I mean, he he played in uh, Tombstone. Uh, he was just he was a great great actor. You're leaving out Orca. Orca. What was Orca? It was a movie where he was hunting a, a killer whale. <laughs> it really wasn't that good. The old one. Yeah, like it was yeah, like it was a like Jaws ripoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, and then you also had uh, you know again Robbie Coltrane. You know, definitely a famous actor, Maggie Smith. Everybody knows Maggie Smith. Uh, and then John Hurt as Ollivander. 
Uh, still can't see John Hurt without seeing an alien come out of his chest um, just all the time. Uh, but really, I mean, I'm trying to think anybody else, you know, who we have. Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis, that's right. Huge role for he Warwick Davis. Two roles. He played uh, – well, it's, it's funny. In this, he, Grip Hook is, is played by Vern Troyer. Vern Troyer, yeah. But uh, – Who's many? Was he many me Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he plays. Um, so Warwick Davis plays the uh, the goblin bank teller who then you know asks to if Harry has his key and uh, and then he, but he also plays Professor Flitwick. Yeah, Flitwick. That's right. Well done. Yeah, that one. Tom Felton did an incredible job as Draco Malfoy. Um, and then for uh, Filch, uh, David Bradley. Um, I'd never known David Bradley um, prior to this for anything. You know, he's just a character actor on the side, you know, and um, until you get to, if you're Game of Thrones fans, anybody, he's in Game of Thrones and uh, very, very famous character in that. But his role is just hilarious to me I, I, throughout the, the books and, and, and especially now in the movies, seeing him play that character. I think in my mind, when I first read the books, I just, I saw him as, you know, the only kind of caretaker person I had in mind was the guy from Back to the Future, you know, the bald head, you know, who would, you know, Strickland. That's the only kind of guy who was a disciplinary for, for a school that I would think of that was roaming around the halls. So when I'm thinking about this book, I, I was just constructing my head now an old man who's just like, you know, being annoying and bothering them. And you have this Peeves Poltergeist thing that's bothering him. And I never in my mind would have envisioned Filch the way that, um, the way that, uh, you know, it was played by David Bradley. But when he put it on there, it is exactly who he is. After rereading the books again, I was oh. like, I cannot unsee that. He did uh, amazing. I love his lines and, and the way he delivers his lines. I mean, in, in every movie. <laughs> He's like God, detention used to be detention used to being hanging children up by their toes in the dungeons. God, I miss just screaming. Do you remember you and I used to say, "Got to have your wits about you." Pull yourself together, man. Better You're about man. to go into the forest. Got to have your wits about you. If he looks that look, and then in the anyway. second one, in the, in, like as soon as Ron and Harry get to Hogwarts. Oh dear, we yeah, are in trouble. In trouble. Yeah. So <laughs> John Cleese was in it. It's my you know, just last a, a, night you spend in this castle. <laughs> I've got an amazing cast. John Cleese was in it as nearly head, headless Nick. Um, and there were things that you couldn't get into. You had Peeves the Polar Guys who you couldn't expand on in these in these two movies. You had um well more with the bloody baron, you know. I wonder that, I wonder with uh with some of the the ghosts in particular, I wonder if if they just weren't the CGI wasn't where they wanted it wasn't to be there. to yeah. to really tell those oh, well. stories. And I mean, and again, you know, with when any book, there are things you have to leave out just just for the the sake of of needing to preserve time. And I mean, because sure. if if you threw everything in there, obviously this would be an eight hour epic um <laughs> which i would be fine with yeah know? see and that's that's the thing with with harry potter if they ever decide to remake it i hope they do it as a tv series 
where each chapter is an episode and and you go through it that way you have you know sure that means that your first three seasons are going to be short but and your you know later seasons are going to be longer but who cares like let's you know if you're going to tell the story tell it right let's let's do everything by the book and i think that the only way to really do that would be a a proper series but even then you know if you're casting kids those kids are going to age out of that too quickly to to play that so i don't know i don't know if it'd be possible to do a live action no i i hope they don't if they did anything i just an expansion on the series you know and to go go further in the world i think you've got a whole world of harry potter now uh that that you can build it's like star wars you know you can you can do more without it just having to be harry potter but I wonder though if they'll if they'll do something later, you know, Daniel Radcliffe, and if they'll come back, you know, and do something as they're older or, you yeah. know, a further uh, sequel. But just don't do um, Cursed Child. I just no, no. I mean, it was I. It was okay. I mean, I just it was okay. They, they broke their own rules of time travel again. I, that's, I know it's true. It kills my logic. Everyone does. All right. So why don't you roll into Chamber of Secrets? All right. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Once again, we open on Privet Drive and Harry Potter is once again back at home with Dursleys. Um, Except uh, he is not under the stairs anymore. He's been given uh, uh, Dudley's second bedroom out of the kindness of uh the dursley's hearts um and it's the night of a big um dinner that the dursleys are putting on for clients of uh vernon's uh so it's a big work thing and they need to pretend like harry doesn't exist so that he doesn't embarrass them in any way unfortunately harry gets a visitor uh a a house elf named dobby who shows up and is trying to warn Harry not to go back to Hogwarts because apparently something horrible is going to happen this year. Well, it's Hogwarts. Something horrible happens every year. <laughs> have have you have you been in the Wizarding World very long, Dobby? Um, now I will say Dobby is uh, quite obnoxious uh, as we meet him, um, and and Harry is desperately trying to keep him quiet so that he doesn't get in trouble with uh the dursleys uh but it you know what winds up happening is uh dobby ends up dropping a pudding on the head of vernon's client's wife and they think that harry did it like because he's he just happens to be standing there with his arms out like he's gonna try to catch the pudding i mean come on man uh so so in in retaliation for that uh they put bars on harry's window so he can't escape and they're they're saying you're never going back to that school uh he and as it is they haven't allowed him to let hedwig his owl out to so she's been cooped up in a cage all summer and so uh thankfully the uh the the weasley clan have been worried ron's been worried he hasn't heard from his best friend all summer so uh the twins fred and george along with ron have stolen their father's flying car and they go to check on harry and they break him out take him back to the borough where they live and uh, harry is just amazed at how uh, a real wizard family lives uh even though there are a lot of 
well-to-do wizard families that would look down upon the Weasleys. Harry thinks it's brilliant, the, the way that things work for them. And um, so from there, everyone gets their letters for Hogwarts uh, ready to, to get into the new school year. Uh, and they go to Diagon Alley. Now, I do have a problem with this. Why does Harry pronounce it diagonally? <laughs> Why does anybody do stuff like that? If you've heard it pronounced one way, you're in, you, the entire time you've known it existed... Why would you suddenly say it differently? Diagonally. So, Maybe, you know, it's been a year. He could have just, you know, there's a lot of new words, muggles. There's, there's a lot of new words to remember. There was a lot of spells. I don't know what's happening. Uh, but they travel by flu powder, which is new to us. Uh, we've never seen this before. They step into a fireplace, throw down some flu powder, and then say where they're going, and poof, they get sucked up in a, a flame and off they go and uh but apparently harry missed where he was going by mispronouncing diagon alley and winds up in nocturne alley or not nocturnal not nocturne alley not nocturnally <laughs> <laughs> there you go there uh you go. yeah so which and nocturne alley is apparently a very dark place place you don't want to go um no. And uh, but uh, before Harry can be abducted by some dark witch or wizard, uh, here comes Hagrid to save the day. And uh, moving forward, we find out that uh, there's a new defense against the dark arts teacher played by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Gilderoy Lockhart is oh, yeah. a, uh, a famous author uh, who is apparently very handsome. Uh, he doesn't really do anything for me. But uh, but the ladies, a lot of the, a lot of the witches in town sure do love him, and he just happens to be signing books at uh, Florist and Blotts where everyone's getting their school books, and Harry, who is you know crazy wealthy, gets all of his books for free anyway because you know he's famous, and Lockhart Lockhart wants to latch onto his fame, and uh. While they're in the bookstore, we have an encounter with Draco Malfoy, and we meet his father, Lucius, played by Jason Isaacs. Amazing. Brilliantly. Oh, my God. Played by Jason Isaacs. Um, but Lucius Malfoy uh, has a run-in with Harry and the, the Weasleys and Hermione. And uh, then they're off to school. And... Um, there's just a problem when when Harry and Ron try to get through the barrier at platform nine and three quarters, it's blocked. They can't get through. So mm -hmm. they make the snap decision to go steal dad's flying car again. What <laughs> else are you going to do? You know, you, you could wait. You could wait for your parents to come back through the barrier at nine and three nope. quarters nope. And, and, you know, figure out a, a safer way to get to Hogwarts. But Nope. You know, you're 12, you're impulsive, you have a flying car. Why not <laughs> use it? So that's what they do. And they are seen by no less than how many muggles? Well, several, mm. several muggles. Several. Uh, they get in, they get in big trouble. They they damage the whomping willow by crashing oh. into it. Yeah. Um, and if it were up to Professor Snape, they would be expelled, but they don't live in Slytherin House, they're in Gryffindor, so. Uh, it's up to McGonagall and they just give them detention. And so then the year progresses uh, 
and and as the year goes on harry starts hearing things he starts hearing whispers and and then things start happening uh mr filch's cat mrs norris Norris. gets petrified uh and and there's a a message written in blood on the wall uh is it is it at this point is open is that one it or uh is it uh enemies of the air beware oh that might be it yeah i think the first one is enemies of the air beware and then uh the next person who is uh gets petrified winds up being um, justin yeah uh, a student named justin but and this is after there was a an incident where uh they were practicing great scene they're, Love they're scene, practicing the uh wizards dueling yeah, yeah of course it's harry versus malfoy Love it. and uh and malfoy produces a snake somehow and harry begins speaking to the snake now we've seen him talk to a snake before we didn't think of thing was a big deal but this time we're hearing this language that they call parcel tongue yeah. and it is a big deal and everyone assumes that harry is trying to get this snake to attack this kid justin but he's been he's really he's trying to tell the snake leave him alone and uh but all of the kids and snape and lockhart you know they're visibly shaken by the fact that harry potter is a parcel mouth and it, you know, it turns out that uh, this is not a common trait among the wizarding world. That uh, there's a reason why the uh, symbol for Slytherin is a snake, and it's because Salazar Slytherin, the founder of Slytherin House, was a parcel tongue. And so now the the rumors are going to start spreading that Harry is the one who's opened this chamber of secrets, that he's the heir of Slytherin. And he's the one who is setting this monster loose on the castle, trying to take down Muggleborns. Um, where was I? Oh, so we have several people who get uh, get petrified, and we don't, we still don't know why. Um, we assume there's something being set loose from the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, and at first, the teachers try to downplay it, but eventually it becomes too much of a, an issue. And uh, we find out that uh, in the past, this has happened before, that the, this Chamber of Secrets was opened and someone died. Mm. And Harry finds this out when he gets his hands on a blank diary that belonged to one tom marvolo riddle and it's a magical diary where he can write in it and the words disappear and then words appear on the page answering what he said and so then he is brought into the diary to see a memory uh from its pages and sees that this guy tom riddle uh turned hagrid in as a student and and uh, accused him of being the one who had this monster that was killing or that had killed a uh, a girl there at hogwarts um so then at this point ron and harry go to confront hagrid about it but 
the problem is Hermione has been petrified now at this point. Mm. And, uh, and so they go to, to talk to Hagrid, but they don't really get any, any information out of him because suddenly here comes Cornelius Fudge, the uh, Minister of Magic, accompanied by Dumbledore, to be taken off to Azkaban prison because if it's happened before and if he was responsible for it that first time, obviously he's responsible this time too, right? Uh, innocent until proven guilty. And uh, at the same time, here comes Lucius Malfoy, just happens to stroll up and has delivered the news that Dumbledore is uh, not being fired, but being asked to step down by the board of governors and uh, because, touch because they feel like he, you know the school's not safe and so they need somebody else in charge well that's stupid with Dumbledore gone there's no one strong enough to stop this thing from happening so uh, Hagrid very helpfully tells the boys to follow the spiders to find out what they need to know and so that's what they do. They follow the spiders out into the Just forbidden forest. All the spiders. <laughs> and they they find this gigantic spider. What's a, um, an acromantula named hey, Aragog. Acromantula. Wow. And it, it talks. It's a talking spider. It's a gigantic talking spider. And he gives information saying that uh, whatever this creature is, is something that spiders fear above all others. But he's really he really doesn't give any information that is helpful. I didn't think so either. And uh, and then just, you know, sets his children upon the boys to feed them, to feed the other giant spiders. That's that's great. But they're saved by the uh, flying car, which just amazingly turns into Herbie the love bug and drives them out of the forest. <laughs> um all right, I feel like I'm I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're good. Uh, they so long story short, they get to the point where they figure out. All right, the Chamber of Secrets is real. the The thing that's coming out of the Chamber of Secrets must be some kind of giant snake, because that's why Harry can understand it and can hear it, and it's saying "kill, kill," and it's going through the pipes, and they figure out that Hermione has a piece of paper in her hand when she was petrified and that reveals that it's a basilisk and so they decide we're going to go down to the chamber of secrets and we're going to stop this thing and just as they're going down there it turns out that jenny weasley has been taken into the chamber of secrets and that's going to be the end of her so now they need to go save her well they go get gilderoy lockhart the brave soul that he is the defense against the dark arts teacher and uh well, he reveals that he's a fraud and that all yeah. of those books that he's written, he just stole all of that information from other wizards who had done all these great deeds. Turns out, though, he's really good with memory spells. And so he can, like, just obliviate anybody he wants. Uh, and just as he's about to do that to Harry and Ron and make his escape, they pull out their wands and, and force him to you know, lead them into the Chamber of Secrets. So they make the trip down to the chamber. Uh, in a scuffle, Lockhart gets his hands on Ron's broken uh, wand, which we didn't mention. When when they first crashed into the Whomping Willow, 
Ron's wand snapped. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the entire year, his wand yeah. has been backfiring and doing the just sl- horrible slugs. Spells. The slug scene. The, oh, oh my gosh. The slug. God. I, <laughs> I very nearly vomit every time. Uh, better out <laughs> than in. Uh, so then uh, he uses Ron's wand to try to obliviate Harry, but it backfires. And then suddenly Gilderoy Lockhart has no memory whatsoever of who he is, where he is, who any of them are. And so uh, Ron winds up staying with Lockhart to try to dig their way out of where they're at while Harry goes on to the chamber and where he, that's where he encounters Tom Riddle. Well, that's odd. Tom Riddle was a memory in a diary. Well, he's been siphoning life energy from Ginny and is almost a real boy again. And it turns out that Tom Marvolo Riddle, when you rearrange those letters, spell I am Lord Voldemort. So this is, this is Voldemort as a kid at Hogwarts, yep. which is just the craziest thing. Mind-blowing. And so uh, young Tom Riddle summons the Basilisk to kill Harry, but Harry shows incredible loyalty to Dumbledore, which somehow calls Dumbledore's phoenix, Fox, to come down to the chamber. Fox delivers the sorting hat, and Riddle just makes fun of him and says, well, this is, this is your big defense. <laughs> and uh, so Harry's not sure what to do with that yet, but Fox comes back when the basilisk is released and blinds the basilisk so at least now harry can't be killed when he looks at the basilisk uh so he winds up being able to escape from the basilisk and at just the right moment he pulls the sword of godric gryffindor out of the sorting hat it's like a little magic trick yeah and uh he's able to slay the basilisk but not before he gets a basilisk fang in his arm. So, you know, it's looking bad for Harry. Yep. But then Harry, quick thinking, is able to figure out if I destroy the the diary, maybe I'll destroy this Tom Riddle too because he's just a memory out of the diary. So he uses the basilisk fang that was in his arm and stabs it through the diary and it works. It kills tom riddle and frees jenny of her trance and jenny's gonna be fine unfortunately harry's gonna die because he's he's got he's been poisoned by the basilisk it's it's really sad uh so that's the last harry so potter cool. movie that there were that there yep, was that was it yep just kidding <laughs> we learned earlier that uh not only do phoenixes uh you know get reborn from their ashes as we hear in in epic myths and legends but uh, their tears have healing properties. And so Fox comes back, cries, and drops some tears on, on Harry's arm where the, the poison, uh, I guess, it, it puncture wound is, and heals him. And then Fox is able to carry everybody out of the Chamber of Secrets. And Harry saves the day. And then in the, sort of an epilogue, uh, he encounters Malfoy again and discovers that uh, the Malfoys 
are the masters of Dobby, the house elf. And uh, so what we then determine is that Lucius Malfoy is the one who dropped this blank diary, the Tom Riddle diary, into Ginny's cauldron while they were at the bookstore in all of that chaos. And so, which is what led to everything happening this school year. And so when Harry returns the, the diary to Mr. Malfoy, he has put his sock into it. And Lucius, not, you know, he's, he's a haughty character and doesn't carry anything for himself. So he hands the diary to, to Dobby. And this is another small bit of information we learned earlier, but as soon as a house elf is presented human clothing, they're freed. They're no longer a slave to whoever they've been working for. And so since there's a sock inside this diary, technically Lucius handed him a sock and freed him. And uh, this is this is really dark. Lucius is so angry. He begins <laughs> to perform the killing curse on Harry. And and Dobby, you know, being a free elf now, stops him. And um, mm. you know, of course, Lucius has the last word and 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 uh, and threatens Harry the same way that uh, you know his parents were threatened, but. Uh, that, that wraps up chamber of secrets and, uh, oh, well, of course, everybody who was petrified they're they're back to normal, uh, thanks to the, uh, the Mantrank plants. Yes. Thank but, heavens uh, for the plants. And, oh, and, and Hagrid is released from Azkaban. Prison. Yes, of course. Um, took a while to get his release papers. Um, some <laughs> ruddy bird named Errol. But uh, good impression. It was yeah. It, it's overall uh, a good movie, I guess. Um, that one is my least favorite of the books. I'll be yeah. honest, and and I think of the movies, it's also my least favorite of of the movies. Um, it you explained it so well. Well, thank you. I yeah, feel like you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of rambling, and and it's hard to it's hard to like like summarize these movies very succinctly right. because there's so right. much that goes on. Right. No, I think, you know, I mean, it, it, it progresses along the characters. Um, probably couldn't have had another one of those types afterwards. The shift that happens, as we'll talk about next week for, you know, the ones afterward, you know, with the Prisoner of Azkaban, that, that whole thing that happens takes it to a new level, and it surely needed to. I just don't think that, it, you know, at the same pace, tempo, or even style of directing and, and all that, would have been able to accomplish what needed to happen to progress them. But um, yeah, and for anybody wondering, the uh, basilisk, you know, if it looks at you, it kills you. But the people who are petrified were, we discovered, because they had looked at a reflection. So, you know. Yeah, a reflection or through something else. Or through something um, else. You had Colin right. Creevy who was petrified, but he was looking right. at it through, the, through his camera lens. Justin Finch-Fletchley was through Nearly Headless Nick. Through Nearly Headless, nearly headless, headless Nick, yeah. Nick was... Saw the basilisk head on, but he's a ghost. He's already but, yeah, dead. He's so already all dead. Reason. Not sure how you administer the mandrake on that guy, um, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, he he winds up being all right somehow. Yeah. Um, Did we see Norris. him again? I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is the last time we see him. Like we see him at the end of the movie. He's he's fine. He he's back to normal. But uh, but we never see nearly Nick in another movie. 
Yeah. Uh, the only other time we see, like, no, I mean, we see random ghosts in yeah. in other movies, but yeah. they're never a plot point until we get to the uh, very last movie and we see the gray lady. Yeah, the gray uh, lady. And, and Harry right. has to confront her. But um, that's true. As far as as far as the ghosts go, uh, they kind of take a back seat for the rest of the movie. Or I, I will say having this movie or in book here did establish a, a more personable connection to Voldemort um, and kind of got you to know, you know, you, in the first one, you just have this o- ominous figure, you know, this very bad guy, this evil wizard, you know, and just not a very deep character. Yeah. Uh, by doing this and by having this diary and going back and seeing, you know, Tom Riddle, you're able to get a glimpse. Now, I think you get a much better glimpse into his psyche when you're starting to look at the flashbacks um, that uh, that Dumbledore does with with Harry, you know. Yeah, um, uh, what half of Prince? Yeah. Yeah. And so when he starts going to the pen and, and the, is it the pensieve he does it where he yeah. shows him the, in the pensieve. And so, you know, that, that definitely is more of the psyche when he's younger, but this, this kind of introduced and it took you to a different perspective about Voldemort, you know, more conniving, more devious. So then you start to wonder not anymore, who is this guy, as we saw in Sorcerer's Stone, you know, the back of Quirrell's head, you start to wonder who is this guy really going to be? you know, in these movies when he comes back per se. Right. And that build up to that all the way to the end of Goblet of Fire is so strong. You know, it's, it's, you know, ooh, you know, it's great. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's real interesting to, to see. And honestly, um, I really, I really like the actor who played Riddle in this one. Yeah. Um, compared to the one we see in flashbacks in Half Blood Prince, right? Um, just he's older, uh, you he's, know. I mean, he's, he's older. He's got that. He's I don't know if it's it's like a, a cocky attitude, right? Um, now there, you know, you, you get that from the actor who's who's playing him in uh, in Half Blood Prince as well. But it's more of a like in in Half Blood Prince, it feels like it's it's more of a cocky coming from a place of privilege which is odd because riddle is not a privileged kid he's an orphan and uh you know he spends his summers back at an orphanage with muggles right um, right you know so that's i don't know yeah, it's just a, just a different way different. they played him yeah no it sure was and, and the actor um you know, who played Tom Riddle uh, was Kristen Coulson in in this one. And, you know, he was definitely cocky and all that stuff in this one. The one who played him, I'm trying to remember his name um, because he was in, he's in Fear of the Walking Dead in the first few seasons. And it was a very big deal. It was Frank Delane. Um, and Frank Delane, you know, definitely had a lot more experience as a young actor. And so there was a bit of... Um, I mean, there was a bit more uh, of what he brought to the table. It, it wasn't very like uh, uh, masterminded or anything like that. He just seemed like a punky kid. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I think the age thing was a challenge. 
you know, him being young and asking that seedy question about horcruxes and stuff like that, I think was maybe not pulled off as well, you know? Well, and the, I mean, that's the part that, that I struggle with is that they, you know, the, the two actors, they're playing, they're playing Tom Riddle at about the same age right. at that point, because he's, you know, in, in where we see him in, in the past there in Chamber of Secrets, he's a school prefect, which makes him a, a seventh year this is his last yeah, year at, that's right as, as a, a student and uh you know so it's you know when when he's asking slughorn about horcruxes as a as a student i feel like that's also you know either in his sixth or seventh year right around that same time because the reason and again, we're we're getting in, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But the reason the diary becomes a Horcrux is because he used the basilisk to kill um, Moaning Myrtle. Right. That's you know we we learned from Slughorn that that the way you split your soul is by committing a you know such a heinous act as murdering someone. And, right. and that's how the first Horcrux was created was when right. when Moaning when Moaning Myrtle was killed in that bathroom, that gave that was the first thing Voldemort the opportunity to create his first Horcrux. Right. Um, you know, of course, we we have no idea what a Horcrux is. We've never heard that word at this point. We have no right. idea that this diary is a way that that Voldemort was trying to. Uh, preserve his immortality right um in case something happened to him and uh you know it just happened to be that this is the first horcrux that was destroyed and and we don't even know what a horcrux is for another five books right right well and you you had the feel throughout the books about you know voldemort preserving coming back eternal you know mortal and all that thing but there there definitely was if there's any challenge, and, and like you said, I mean, I'm the same way. You can't help but but go go ahead in the future a little bit to these other ones. Um, I I do feel like um, I better understood Horcruxes from the books. You know, I, it, it is a that whole concept and the plot points about all of that. I think it, it's going to be hard to communicate it through the movie. Maybe I'm just saying that because I just didn't see what I probably needed to see. But I just the books were far more helpful to understand. And, and we get that same challenge when we're talking about um, in, uh, in Order of the Phoenix and talking about uh, who is the one, you know what I mean? Who is the, per- who, who is the, the one who will fight uh, Voldemort who, and, and fight him in the end? The prophecy. Yeah. The book did such an incredible job about talking about that. <laughs> but the movie, man, it, just, it, it, was had, it was so quick. It had to be so quick, quickly done. And there just probably just wasn't enough time, you know, yeah. with any of that stuff. So, but, you know, these, all these things, you know, Chamber of Secrets, they're foundational. They move it along. I would say this movie beyond just what I was saying about getting to know Voldemort, also just the progression of the kids and their relationships, you know, and, and the dynamic between the three of them, um, as well as them in the school and with the other students and, um, you know, definitely Malfoy. A Quidditch, all of that stuff, just you just get more and more immersed. Uh, it's very preparatory for getting into Prisoner of Azkaban. I will say one thing I did not like, uh, one change that they made 
was uh, so you have that scene where um, you know the, the two Quidditch teams are confronting each other about who gets to practice. Uh, you've got Team Gryffindor right. and, and Team Slytherin, and it's revealed that that Malfoy is is now on the Slytherin Quidditch team because uh, Daddy Warbucks bought everyone a Nimbus two thousand one, and right. so then Hermione smartly says. Uh, at least uh, on the Gryffindor team, no one had to buy their way on. And um, Malfoy uses a what is considered, I guess, an ethnic slur in the wizarding world, calls her a mudblood, which uh, we learn is a derogatory term for anyone who is muggle-born. Um, in the book, Hermione has no problem being called this because she has no idea what it means. She's never yeah. been called that before. She doesn't know right. that she, you know, she comes from the muggle world. She has no idea that this is a negative thing. And, right. but Ron, of course, you know, growing up as a wizard, he defends her. Yeah. And of course his broken wand backfires and causes him yeah. to be the one who's spitting up slugs. slugs um, yeah. But, you know, when they go to Hagrid to, you know, try and, and get Ron back to normal, um, you know, there he's he asks, you know, who was who was he trying to curse? And and you know, they talk about how it's Malfoy and and Hermione is is extremely upset about this that she's been called right. mudblood. But right. you know, and and I, I know why they did this because the screenwriter loves Hermione. Yeah, like they they've said that in interviews that there are so many lines from the books that other people should have said that they gave to Hermione yeah. just because right. Hermione's his right. favorite character. Right. And, uh, you know, and in some ways there's nothing wrong with that, but I think here it's a disservice to, to who she is because, yeah. you know, she's upset about something that she should not fully understand. Like, yes, maybe she's read, you know, somewhere right. that mudblood is a, a derogatory term, but, you know, Harry doesn't understand it. And, and right. because he grew up in a world of muggles and I don't and, think Hermione she should understand she it either. either. Yeah. You know, that's probably one thing that looking at the different characters, you know, Hermione is definitely the smartest and most academic of, of them. And that's, that's pretty consistent. But the fact that she did come from the muggle world that she is, you know, uh, or she's the daughter of what dentists, you know, or something yeah. like that. And, you know, she comes from that world and, uh, you know, I think that gets a little lost, you know, some uh, you, you kind of get a refresher back then as we get to her needing her family protected and she wipes, you know, and definitely hallows and all that stuff and wipes her memory and stuff. But really along the way, it's easy to forget. It's almost like you just kind of assume she's like the smartest witch ever and she must come from which, you know, the wizard family, but she's not, yeah. you know, and and you're right. You know, the book really portrayed her as and even so. You know, she very much dogmatically against Malfoy, and and we see her later in uh in the next one. You know, when she has the moment where she pulls the wand on Malfoy. You know, yeah. I mean, she has got some angst and spunk to her that's just like a little different than what we see in Chamber of Secrets. Here, Chamber of Secrets, he taught he says that to her, and she is hurt, and she runs off. You know, and and they're all and and she has to be consoled. You know, yeah. So it, was, it wasn't just that she didn't know it. It was also just her reaction. I think, you know, it's I just don't think out it's of character for her. It is out of it, it's a little pouty. She would have been like, I don't know what that is, but 
screw you nose and, yeah yeah <laughs> screw you <laughs> you know and then just flip the wand you know um but, uh, i do want to say yeah. the, another thing that bothers me and this is this is a nitpicky thing um the number of times they use magic outside of Hogwarts when <laughs> clearly they're not supposed to use magic outside of Hogwarts. Now it's, you know, it's one thing for yeah, as a family, they're using flu powder to get to Diagon Alley. But as soon as they run into Hermione, she's pulling out her wand, Oculus Repair. Excuse me. Just because you're among other wizards and witches here in Diagon Alley does not make it okay for you, a minor, to suddenly use magic outside of school. That's that was on okay. the train, wasn't it? Wasn't it on the train she did it? She did it in the first one on the train, yeah. Yeah, and the first one on the train, yeah. And uh, Yeah, you're right. But you know, I could understand you know, first year not here. getting in trouble for, for doing magic before they get to Hogwarts because they don't know the rules yet. They don't know the rules, yeah. But but now you know <laughs> she knows the rules, and she should not be pulling out her wand and just doing stuff. And this is going to be a problem for me, too, when we get to Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Because at the very yeah. beginning of it, you know, <laughs> yeah. Harry's doing this Lumos Maxima thing under the covers of his bed <laughs> I mean, I over know. and over again. But no one, oh, no one's man. getting in trouble for that. But then he accidentally blows up his aunt and, you know, encounters the Minister of Magic and says, well, I guess I'm kicked out of Hogwarts because I blew up my aunt. So, well, oh, let's, no. talk about, <laughs> let, let's talk about their ability to monitor all of this stuff and how they know it like how the ministry can sense this. And yet Hagrid, who's not supposed to be using right. a wand. And he's not even supposed one, to have a wand at un- all. <laughs> he's got his umbrella. He's like he's fires. He's getting porky pig over here. Ta- Pigtail. <laughs> yeah, that was a little inconsistent. Oh, well, it's all in the script. you know. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to suspend belief and, you know, uh, imagine that a world of magic can exist, then I guess you can bend the rules here and there i guess well i uh, i really liked it i have to say uh, my my favorite character of the uh of the movie had to go to jason isaacs um the lucius malfoy uh he makes a great villain he just, he just really makes a great villain and he's just in the voice the way he is his timing of how he delivers anything any statement whatsoever of course watching him in the patriot with mel gibson got me to hate him in the first place you know i mean love to hate him you know what i mean oh, yeah. but man oh my gosh you know you just so you're you the really ghost are him. you <laughs> but uh then he comes out like that and just the way he talks and delivers is incredible so that's my favorite uh favorite character yeah. oh man um, Any other comments that you would throw in there about the old chamber of secrets? Well, before we before we leave Harry Potter today, I'll, I I want to ask you what uh, what house are you in? Have you done the Pottermore oh, yeah. sorting? Oh yeah, yeah. I am I am Gryffindor through and through. That a boy. I'm a Ravenclaw. You are. I knew you'd be a Ravenclaw. I knew I was a Ravenclaw before I even took the test, man. <laughs> I know. I know. That's. That's about right. <laughs> I, you know, for, for those who may, you know, listen in, I, we, we have some friends and family who listen and who don't <clears throat> have never watched Harry Potter or have heard of it, but, or have seen the movies, but don't really know much about it. You know, these, these different houses have kind of different personality traits, you know, and, and, uh, and you can kind of be a mix, but really it comes down to which house you, you're allegiant to. Now, Gryffindor's, you know, the more uh, it's, you know, what would you just say adventurous you know kind of adventurous uh, brave, brave loyal 
Yeah. And then Ravenclaw would be uh, definitely smart and studious. Um, More logical thinkers. Thinks they know everything. You know, oh. sure. <laughs> no, they know everything. All right. Let's let's be fair. Let's just be fair. Um, uh, so my daughter is Ravenclaw. She's she's sometimes because she's in this rebellious phase. She's 13. She'll be like, I kind of think I'm a rape because they have these tests where you can like merge, you know, and she'll be like, I'm a slither claw. <laughs> and Aristotle, you know, and she really likes, you know, Slytherin because of uh, just the rebellion aspect and Regulus and, and you can be a Slytherin, but not be evil, you know, and, yeah. and all that. And, uh, and my son's Gryffindor, but then we also have Hufflepuffs. My wife, she considers herself a Hufflepuff. And uh, that would be, you know, I, I think of them more like the phlegmatic, non-confrontational, the peaceful folk. They're very friendly. You know, friendly. The, the Hufflepuffs are, are friendly, kind, loyal individuals. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, because that's, that's, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's how Dumbledore describes Cedric is he was a fierce yeah. friend. Fierce um, friend, yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's how you describe a good Hufflepuff. Um, yeah, that's 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 definitely the best way. Well, and then you have Slytherin, and Slytherin uh, again, it's so easy. They're easily painted as the bad, not a not a bad witch or wizard who didn't come out of Slytherin. But you, you don't know, necessarily but, uh, have to be, you know. You don't have to be evil. No. Um, you know, Slytherins are are um, headstrong, and uh, they they know what they want. They're driven. They. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think it's fair necessarily to categorize every one of them as selfish, but uh, but they definitely have a tendency ambitious. to look out for their yeah ambitious. Yeah. That's that's ambitious. a good word. That's that's the word that was escaping me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, I mean, those are kind of the different ones for those who who wonder. But um, anyway, so uh, this after this movie, this is the end of the Chris Columbus uh set and um right. you know and i'm super thankful for chris chris columbus doing these and being at the helm of of these two movies to start them off especially for the kids and their journey uh as we get into the next ones they're absolutely darker um but not too dark i don't want to i don't want to paint it that way because while it's darker it's nothing compared to deathly hallows right um and again, it's, but it it's definitely as takes if, you to a new level. You know, your viewers are aging with these movies. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's it, again, it's it's brilliant the way that they they came along and and did that and and had the different directors. Maybe I don't know if they necessarily intended. I'll have to do some research when we watch three the third one, Azkaban and um, Goblet of Fire. But you know, I, I wondered, did they intend to just have Columbus do the first two and then move on with a different director for you know the next movies going forward? Um, so I'll I wonder too. Definitely you know, want to look that the up. The second next one week. did didn't make as much money as the first one, and that might have changed. Uh, to be honest, though, it still was part of you know um, fourteen ninety two pictures. In in that, I mean, it's, wasn't Chris Columbus still? Part of it in some way even if he didn't direct it i'm pretty sure he's he still got a producer credit right so um this one was budgeted a hundred million dollars its opening weekend was 88 which was a little low um it did uh 262 uh in the u.s gross u.s and canada and 879 uh worldwide so it did you know 
you know, about a hundred million dollars less, a little bit more than a hundred million dollars. That's one hundred and fifty million dollars less than. Well, the then we one. might as well stop making them now. It only made eight hundred million dollars. <laughs> so you know, I think I I I don't know if it, if it was a factor in the decision, but I I. I would assume that they had to all know we've got to go darker. Um, wow. Let's so. do that research next week. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely. Uh, we will definitely be talking about uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire next week in our podcast as we continue the Harry Potter series. Um, a reminder: come back tomorrow for a bonus episode. We will be talking about the first two episodes of the Obi Wan Kenobi series on Disney Plus um and various anything else you want to add before we wrap this episode no just uh super excited to be doing the harry, harry potter films i think uh they're exciting i hope I'd, I'd love to know any comments or thoughts from anybody you know uh not just your your rating of our podcast but if you have any thoughts things that stuck out to you um about these two movies um please share you know we'd love That's to right to mention it we love reading your comments and we would love to be able to read your comments right here on the podcast uh, and share your thoughts with the rest of the world. So uh, again, uh, thank you for joining us for this first in our Harry Potter series. Uh, and we hope you have a great, whatever it is, wherever you are. Mm-hmm.